Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I wanted to interest you in a conversation. Sometimes, well, it's the way of life that as long as you're a human being, you will be tried, right? You will be tested you will have challenging times in life. And some times are harder than the others. Not all things are the same. Even when you study our individual lives, not all of us have gone through the same things. I know somebody who has never fallen sick. Or even when they were sick, their sicknesses were, you know, mere. And I know people who have carried great illnesses hard, hard times. So even our challenges and tests and trials are not equal. And there are things that happen to us and by nature of what has happened, we don't lose hope. We don't lose our peace. Um, some of them, it's more than just the issues that are attacking us. Some of them also have an emotional attachment to them, you know, betrayal, blackmail, hypocrisy, the one you thought who loved you doesn't, things like that. We have our battles as individuals. But in life, there are things that happen to us. And sometimes we think back and say, for as long as I was born, this is the hardest time of my life. You see? Well, we cannot tell what the future has, but sometimes we go through things and we can confirm that this is the hardest time of our life. Somebody's watching me, you lost someone. You are in your hardest time of your life. I don't know what you call a parent losing a child. They're in their hardest time. In their hardest time. Somebody is in their hardest time in their career right now, and they're tuning in. Somebody is in their hardest time in their marriage, and they're tuning in. Somebody is in their hardest time in their health, and they're tuning in. What I'm going to share, of course, could help you, even when your testations are lighter. But I want to get to a place where you will understand how God grants victory in the hardest times, because He does. Somebody shout hallelujah. Today I want to teach about how to win in the hardest times. What God does in the hardest times. What is the way of God? The Bible says that my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. You need to know the ways of God if you're going to win. Because when you are ignorant of how God fights your wars or battles, you either might fight carnally and be defeated, or you might not have divine instruction in the time of your test. And sometimes you don't act where you're supposed to act, and consequently, your life is destroyed. We carry our source from him. The Bible says we are the sheep of his pasture. We know not how to move without him. But the Bible says, I'm the vine and ye are the branches. And he says, but without me, you can do nothing. So we're entirely reliant on God. Not our finances on God. Not our genes, G-E-N-E-S, but on God. Not our education, but on God. Not our affiliations, not our connections, but on God. The Bible tells us that without him, we can do nothing. And so in that kind of conversation, I'm going to interest you in something God has done in history, biblical history that has quite blessed my life, has blessed my life immensely. And this is the one lesson that I have 
if I go through something and I feel it is the hardest that I've gone through. And if you go through anything and you could say this is the hardest time of my life, always remember this someone and come back to it or send it to somebody that is going through the hardest time of their life. And the Lord will bless. Somebody shout hallelujah. Our conversation is going to come from the story of David. A great story, a common story that all of us are acquainted with. Born and raised by a gentleman called Jesse. But the Lord has something on that young man's life because his heart is after God. His heart is of God. And we know very well he's raising the kingdom when Israel had a king called Saul. The place of kingdomship had come because the children of Israel had asked for a king. And so God ordained Saul for kingship. And the um, most notable time with this young man is when he's taking bread for his brethren, his brothers, which were soldiers. And they find a challenge. There was uh, an enemy that had stuck it up to them every time. He would beat them every time. And uh, the Philistines were set against the children of Israel because of one guy. This fellow was called Goliath. They called him the champion of Garth. Everybody feared him. And it's amazing that the defense of a nation can lie on one man. In the time of Phil uh, the Philistines, there was only one fellow, Goliath. If you had Goliath, <laughs> the Bible says when they saw him, men fled. That's how big this guy was. When a man saw Goliath, you would flee. The Philistines, in certain instances, would not need to fight because they had one fellow. But it has happened too, even in the ways of God, that Elijah was the horseman and chariot of Israel. Elisha was the protection of Israel. So it's possible for the protection of a nation to be put under one individual. It's up to the nation whether they know it or they don't. But God can keep a city because of one man. God can keep a nation because of one man. Somebody shout hallelujah. Sometimes we underestimate what the ability of one man is in the consequence of life. Anyway, so the children of Israel are set against the Philistine. The Philistines send their champion and they provoke the armies of Israel. And the king seeks for somebody who would fight this fellow. He would give him his daughter and many other things. And nobody stands. A 17-year-old boy comes up and says, Aya, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. Who is he to defy the armies of God? David didn't say, I think I need a wife. No, he said, who is that fellow? Who is defying the armies of God? This uncircumcised Philistine. So David, the man with the heart of God, looks at this war from a covenant perspective. Somebody shout hallelujah. So we all know, picks up five smooth stones. Goliath is opposite him. And then David, the slingshot. And it goes into the forehead of Goliath. And he's down. And then, like he had promised, he goes for the sword of Goliath from his sheath and then gets it and cuts off his head. And that is the victory. Now, how big was Goliath? History tells us that fellow was about 9 feet 0.3 inches. That's how tall. 9 feet 0.3 inches. So you can imagine, they tell you that only his armor, right? It was 35 kilograms. His armor, what he would wear, was 35 kilograms. That's how heavy and big this fellow was. So you can imagine the size of his sword. Huh? And so he uses that very sword, cuts off. Scriptures tell us he gets the instruments, everything on Goliath, and then he takes it in his word, in his tent. He takes it home for a victory. So he keeps these instruments that were on Goliath 
as a victory. Of course, he gains favor before Saul. Saul loves him. And then you know the story. He starts serving Saul. Then he starts fighting wars for Saul until a time when uh, he's killing 10,000 and Saul 1,000. And then Saul turns against him and is angered at this young man. And the Bible says Saul hated David and he sought to kill him. His countenance changed. Now that was the hardest time for David. That was the hardest time for David at that point in life. Why? He left his biological father, Jesse. I want you to understand this. He left his biological father, Jesse. And then he goes under a man who purports to love him. He even has the man's daughter. He is fighting battles for this man. He trusts that this man loves him. He feels that God has placed him in that place for a purpose. When he's on the war front fighting, he's not fighting for himself. The scriptures don't tell us that David now and his men came boasting. It was never recorded that David boasted of victory when he was still under the realm of Saul. That's the way of a taught spirit. You never boast under a cover. Somebody shout hallelujah. If the cover has instructed you, if you're instructed by a voice, you go in the authority of the voice you've been instructed. Somebody shout hallelujah. But anyway, it's not for today. So, women come singing. Saul kills a thousand. David kills ten thousand. <laughs> you know, it wasn't David. And it gets into the ears of this man. And he turns against him. In fact, at one point, he threw a spear. It almost went through David. Now put yourself in David's shoes. You did not have a great relationship with your father. How do I know that when you kill bears and lions, you never told him? Because he was related to you perhaps biologically, but he was not related to you according to the calling, the eternal calling on your life. He did not connect to the anointing on your destiny, but he saw you or she saw you as a daughter or as a son. And so that thing inside you, David, finds a person who can read it and can trust it. He's not trusting it because you look trustable, but he trusts it because your confidence bewiles him. Because this boy is small. Okay, put on my armor. No, 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 no. I shall not put on what I have not proved. So he says, okay, if this fellow can risk going there, whatever he is with his stones. I have a feeling when Saul sends David out without an armor, with stones in his hands, he knows this boy just has stones. I have a feeling Saul knew that this boy was going to be killed. He knew it. He knew it. He didn't care how, but he respected the confidence because he was at a desperate place. Do you agree? And so, this boy has victory and then he serves him. He loves him. Jonathan, the son of Saul, grows up looking at David like his brother. They have a very kindred spirit. They are knit together. The Bible says their souls were knit together. And so, you start calling Saul your father. You look to him. Everybody in the kingdom says, oh no, that's Saul's son. And then one day, that man turns. And then, the king of Israel seeks your life. And he tells every man around him that whoever can bring me the head of David, I shall give them cities, I will pay them as much gold, shekels, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm paying as expensive as I can to bring me the head of David. What do you think is in the heart of this fellow? He has not annoyed the king, he has not disrespected or dishonored the king, he has not done anything against the cause that is expected for a soldier. He has invested and given his life to serve the king, but things have changed. Now the man seeks his life because he doesn't know how to live with one greater than him. Some people don't know how to deal with greater people than they are. They just don't know. Something gets on them and they become crazy. Anyway, so David has to flee for his life at his hardest time, because he knows any time they're going to call him. Now, in 1 Samuel, the 21st verse, 
The Bible tells us that he goes to Nob, in a place called Nob, to a priest called Ahimelech, because he was fleeing for his life. And of course, Ahimelech was afraid at meeting David, and he asked him, why are you alone? Why is no man with you? And David tells the Ahimelech that the king has commanded me a business and has sent me, and he says, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and I have commanded thee and I have appointed my servant such and such a place. Now, he has to lie to Ahimelech, but he's fleeing. He's saying, okay, because Ahimelech and everyone knows that there's a relationship, a great relationship that David has with. So, so he lies to him and he says, you know, the king has sent me for a business and he doesn't want you to tell anybody that I'm here. Anyway, David is hungry. A few of his men he tells him, what do you have to eat? And uh, he says, I have nothing common, but I have uh, some loaves of bread under my hand, which are sacred. Tells him, but have your boys touched women? If they haven't in three days, you can eat it. Anyway, uh, by the manner of that sanctification, the boys that are with David all eat of that bread. And in verses 8, David says, and to Ahimelech, Is there not anything under thy hand, a spear or a sword? He says, For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. I need a weapon. So by the time David runs away, he did not have anything to himself. So he had no weapon, no nothing. So he's asking him, Do you have a weapon with you? And the next verse says 9, And the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod, and if thou wilt take it, for there is no other save that here. And David says, there is none like that. Give it to me. And that's when he flees to Ashish, the king of Gath. So from that day on, David went with the sword of Goliath. Now let me start preaching. If we go back to scripture, you will realize that from the time he had killed or slain Goliath, he gets his instruments, the instruments of Goliath, the helmet and everything, and the sword, and he puts them in his own tent. Scripture is clear. So the question is, at what point did these elements leave his tent to go to Nob? Are you hearing me? There is something there for the man with the heart of God. God reveals it to the heart of this man that your greatest victory best stands in the highest place in God. Let me explain this. The Hebrew word there for Nob is actually high place. So when David looks at this sword in his house, he feels in his spirit that this should not stay in my house. It should go as a memory into the highest place of wherever we know to be the presence of God. Because my victory can only be attached to the highest place of God's presence, not my place of glory as an individual. Who has understood what I just said? Because remember, he had put the armor in the tent in 1 Samuel 17:54. But what we're not given is when that was moved. But anyway, we see by scripture that at one point he realizes that this does not belong in his tent. He does not need to keep it at that particular point. At that particular point, God leads him to take that sword and the armor. He takes the sword to the presence in the high place. Spiritual. And then he leaves it there for a memory for Israel that we defeated the Philistine. Let me explain this. There is something about laying your victory on the altar. Some people don't understand it. That is why we testify. When you send a testimony online, do you know what you're doing? You're telling God, that this is not staying in my house. This does not only stay in my confines. No, 
The world should hear what God has done. And the best place to put it is not just on the internet, on my simple blog that sells ice cream and candy. The best place to put it is on the altar of God. That is why when God does a miracle for you and you know that it is notable, get a pen or something, go on the internet and send it online. It doesn't matter when it will be read. You never know what that testimony will do one day. Because God can only further your victories in life when you know how to testify in the times when he has come through for you. For they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the power of that testimony. Somebody shout hallelujah. Some of you, you went into meetings, we prayed for you, you were healed. You never sent through your testimony. But you don't know what that testimony one day will do for you when it is put in the high place. You did not have a job and you received it, but oh, I got the job. Thank you, God, that you had my prayer and prayed with the apostle. God gave me that job. But what did you do with that testimony? Send your testimony through. Go online, type it, or write a letter, or go look for someone and tell them, you know what? This is what God has done for me. It is important for you to be able to give your greatest victories to the altar. Because God has a way of turning that victory for your future. When your hardest times come. Now, look at David in his hardest time of life. And David might not have a clue of what God is doing. But it's God's will that when he enters the house of Ahimelech, the priest, and asks him, what weapon do you have? The priest does not have any other weapon. There are chances that the priest could have had a few weapons. You know, probably a soldier had come two, three days before and forgot his sword there. No, but it was so ordained by God that by the time he enters the house of Ahimelech, there is no other sword except the sword of Goliath. Are you hearing me? Now, let us go slowly here because now I'm going to go a bit deeper. God is trying to tell David something. He's trying to tell you and I something. And to know that David did not understand it, but now I and you can and should understand it by the spirit of revelation. When David flees with that very sword, and then he goes to Ashish, the king of Gath. Remember, Gath is where Goliath comes from. He has the sword. He has the sword. And I feel God is leading David there for a certain reason. But David, I feel, does not understand why God is leading him in there. Now, listen. So David arose and fled that day for the fear of Saul and went to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said unto him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Now, from the day David killed Goliath, to Gath he was the king. Saul was still on the throne. But there was a recognition of the anointing that was working on this young man that every man from Gath, when they looked at David... They saw a king. God had anointed him in 1 Samuel 16. Before Samuel, nobody witnessed that except the few brothers and the familiar spirit that saw it. Remember later on when Saul goes to this uh, widow of Endor and then he calls out uh, the familiar spirit. Do you remember when the spirit is talking to him? He says that you disobeyed God and did not kill the Amalek like God had told you. Even so, he says, he has ordained David king. The spirit spoke it. The familiar spirit said it. He has ordained king in your place, David. He has ordained David in your place as king. Can you believe that? So this familiar spirit was there. It observed it. Anyway, back to the story. I wish David went the way God saw him. But like many of us in the times of trial, sometimes even when God has given us the sign of our victory, the element of our victory, the weapon for our victory, we don't know. Of course, God is not saying that David should fight with his sword. Perhaps it was so big for him to even swing it, unless he's using it on a dead man. But there's a reason why God gives him that as the weapon in the time when he should have given him a comfortable sword. Remember the size of Goliath. Anyway, so the servants of Asish tell him and the Bible says, is this not of whom people are dancing, saying that Saul has slain thousands and David 
his ten thousands. And David laid up these words in his heart and was so afraid. Instead, he got more afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath, and he changed his behavior. And when he goes before this man, he makes himself mad and scrambles on the doors of the gate and spittle falls down his beard. And Ashish says, you know what? I don't want a madman here. I think there's a point there David missed. He came to Gath as a king. Even when they knew that there was a king in Israel. To them, he was that king. If they had a fear of Goliath, and Goliath was their champion. If David had known what you and I now know, he would have gone to Ashish and raised that sword. To remind him, there is more from where this came from. I believe Gath would have respected this man. I believe Gath would have hid him. I believe Gath would have listened to his request. But he had a fear in his heart, even though the Lord had given him the weapon. What is the weapon? Let's talk about it. Why that weapon? God is trying to tell him, you are running from a man. You're running from the king who had no clue of how to defeat Goliath. And this sword, like you spoke one day with your mouth and told Goliath that I will kill you and after that I will cut off your head with your very sword. This weapon is reminding you, David, that the victory you have had in the past the very man chasing after you could not even attempt. The very thing looking for you could not go through what you have gone through and still be alive. The very man pursuing you, this weapon is telling you, this is not something I want to give you to defeat armies with, but this is something I want to give you, David, to remind you of the covenant that I have with you and the relationship that I have with you, that the fellow chasing you could not face the man you killed once. I love the way the Bible says it. When he talks about the children of Israel, he says, and he led them through the sea as dry land. But the Bible says, their enemies were drowned. Do you know that your enemy can chase you to a place that he cannot go through? Do you know that somebody can think they are fighting you and then God leads you to a place where your enemy cannot pass through? Or if he dare pass through, he will drown that day. That is why <laughs> when you are chasing a believer, be very careful because you don't know what they can go through. You could chase a man and he gets to the place of a wall and passes through. And you'd crush your head in the very wall because that's the way of the spirit. That's how we blow. You know not where we come from or where we go. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's how everyone which is born of the spirit is. Now God is giving David a weapon that I want to give you today. He's telling him, go back a bit in your life and look for your greatest victory. You will see that there are things God has done in your past. That should tell you, oh, that with them you have carried certain elements and testimonies of those victories. Somebody shout hallelujah. Have you ever gone through a sickness and you still have the scar? Yeah, 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 yeah. You had cancer once and the scar dried up. Are you hearing me? And then you get COVID the next day and you remember, but I have a scar. I have survived something bigger than this. God is trying to tell David. But it doesn't matter what is in your head or how you have not yet understood what I'm about to do in your life. But this weapon available for you is not there for you to fight your next enemy. But to remind you that at one particular point, this guy chasing after you was so weak to beat what you have beaten. Where is your fear? Where is your fear? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? The man you're dealing with so could not fight Goliath. He couldn't. When he looked at you, he didn't even trust you could make it. And you went before Goliath without a word. 
an armor. You went before this champion with a stone. You swung it. It was not the precision of your swing, but the glory of God's power on your hand. And somehow that stone landed where it had to. I'm talking about that time in life where you had a victory by mistake. Are you hearing me? You cannot count it to your precision, but there was a time God made a way and you find that you swung the hand the right way. Not because you had practiced to kill with a swing, but there was just that one time the Spirit of God was on you, that every thing you sent out was on target. And you can look back on your life and think, hmm, it was more than my precision. Hmm, it was more than my knowledge. Hmm, it was more than my education. Hmm, it was more than my connections. Hmm, it was more than my color. Hmm, it was more than my race. Hmm, it was more than my speed. It was more than my ability. It was more than my strength. It was more than my articulation. It was more than my accuracy. But somehow something swung for me simply because I stood on the field of faith. And I said that I was ready to face this thing at the point when I should face it. I don't know whether I have a witness. Has God ever given you a victory? And all you remember is that you believed. But in the believing, the stone landed right. You can't say that you knew how to throw the stone. You can even stand and boast and say, you know, I've been practicing my slingshot. Because with this one, it was a covenant. It was not your speed. It was a covenant. Who are you to defy the armies of the living God? I will kill you. You uncircumcised Philistine. Because I am circumcised and I have a certain covenant. Even if I look like this and I just wah, 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 wah. It will still turn and come. That's a man of faith. Now, when you have had that kind of victory, where you remember that you did things by faith without knowledge, but it still worked. It still worked. I hope you kept the armory of that which you defeated in the high place. Because one day, God goes to that very scene and he gives you the same weapon. Now the man which made the sword never knew. But one day, when he was making the sword, he was making it for Goliath. Make for the captain, the champion of Gatha's sword. And I see this blacksmith looking at his height, measuring him, and then making. How sharp do you want it? You want it on the double edge uh, sharpness or one single edge? He's looking at him and he's designing this thing, but he doesn't know who he's designing it for. That's why I say that some of the things, some of the weapons your enemies are making on you, one day will become your testimony in the highest places. Let me say this again. Some of the things that people are plotting against you, God will work one day for your testimony to preserve you in your hardest times. That is why when I read those kinds of scriptures, sometimes I want them to make those weapons. Because they can only work for me. He says, no weapon that is formed. <laughs> no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. That means every weapon made is for you. Come on, somebody. Every weapon made by your enemies for your advantage. You just need to know how to put it before God. You just need to know how to put it in the hand of God in the places of understanding. You just need to know how it works. Anyway, had he known that he was making this for David, had he known that one day in the hardest time, the king of Israel, ordained by God, would need that sword, not for war, but for a remembrance. Look at how your weapon, look at how your weapon becomes your place of remembrance. Look at how God tells you, look, eh? this thing in front of you looks like it's so big. And perhaps you need to put aside 17 days of fasting, 21 days of separation, and nights of prayer. And God tells you, uh -uh. With this one, even if you don't fast, with this one, I know it's hard, but perhaps your deliverance is not in the fasting realm. That's why some people, unfortunately, they go fasting. So I'm not saying that I'm against fasting, but sometimes your victory is not in fasting, sometimes. 
the balance eh, of the Spirit. Because you see, some people read a lot the Word, but they've not yet understood the power of prayer. And some people pray a lot, but they don't pray in the Word. Have you asked yourself why in the book of Acts they separate themselves to the reading of the Word and prayer? And why prayer comes before the Word? The place of prayer is to consecrate us to the place where we can hear God. The seeker is there to prepare himself, to align himself, that God will minister to them in word. That's the end of the ministry. Are you seeing what I'm saying? God wants to minister to you from the place of prayer. Every place of prayer should lead you to hear God, should lead you to the ministry of the word. Some people pray so much, and when God is about to reveal his word, they disconnect. Or some people get the word of God and read it, but without a habit of prayer. You see, those two things are important, prayer and the word. Anyway, now listen to me. We see that the weapon of David at that particular point is not there to slay anybody. It's not even going to be used as a weapon. Otherwise, he should have gone with that to fight with that. But to God, most importantly, this weapon is there to remind David that you have been here before when you did not know what to do, but you still held on the covenant that I have with you and on the faith that I am God and I cannot fail you. You have been here. Go back to that particular moment and get that moment into your spirit and let it become your weapon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let it become your weapon. This is what God is bringing back to David. And we see David moving with that in his hands. And it's so amazing. He runs from Ashish and then he goes into the cave of Abdullah, right? And look at how this king chasing after David tells these guys, let me ease myself. And he enters where David is <laughs> hidden. Forgot to tell this guy that it doesn't matter how much army he has, I still have a way to give you victory if I want to. But even in this instance, I don't want you to kill him. But when he smites that cloth, he is even condemned of God that he touched the Lord's anointed. Now David knows who to fight and who not to fight. So we see by God, this chasing of Saul was not really a place of destroying him, but to teach David how to deal with the anointing. That was the lesson. So now for you, you think that you are in your hardest time, yet God is doing something different on your life. Have you ever been on one agenda and you think that that's where you are and God is not even there? They've diagnosed you of a killer disease and you think that you're a few days to live and yet God is not even on your death. Uh -uh. He is chiseling out your ministry. You don't even have a clue. Somebody shout hallelujah. And sometimes all you need to keep that sanity is to simply go even when you don't know where you're going. But now I can look back in 2021 and realize that that sword was not given to David to fight his enemies. God wanted to remind the man of God something. If it was not picked by David, I have picked it. Somebody shout hallelujah. If David did not understand it, you understand it now. Listen, he says nothing, nothing, nothing. That is said before you, there is nothing that surprises God. God is not shocked. Eh, what? Cancer? Oh, no, no, God is not surprised. But he saw all that would happen for you. And he still said, For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to make you prosper, not to harm you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. And I want to give you that expected end. It does not change because of what you're going through. God never changes because of your circumstances. Nothing has shocked God. You might think, oh, Kari, now my job. No, no, it has shocked you. It has not shocked heaven. Some of you just need to go back and understand how God deals with us. Sometimes it's a place of ignorance. It's a place we don't know. We don't know how God works. And then you see somebody crying. And sometimes you want to tell them, I wish you know what God knows. I wish you see what God sees on you. If David now comes to 2021 and goes back to that time fleeing from Saul, he would laugh at himself. 
Because even now, God still seeks to establish the throne of David. Jesus Christ comes to the throne of David. God calls it the throne of David, his father. If David knew, if David had known at that particular point that that was not his end, he would have looked at this weapon differently. He would have seen this sword of Goliath differently. And so we realize that Goliath had a sword. The enemy of Israel had a sword that only God had a purpose for. <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking to. The enemy of Israel had a sword that only God had a purpose for. That means that some of the things you see are in the arsenal of your enemy. All those weapons God has a purpose for, and that purpose is not against you. It is for you. Even when things don't make sense and you don't see how you can come out of it, choose to believe that you must come out of this anyway. Get to a point and understand it, no matter how bad the news is, how bad the situation is, how bad the circumstances. Get to a point and convince your spirit if you have to do that a thousand times every day. That nothing is ahead of you. Nothing is planted before you. Cannot shall prosper against you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I am fully persuaded in this every day. That there is nothing ahead of me that I cannot beat. God cannot try me beyond that which I'm able. But he will with the very temptation. The Bible says forge a way out for you that you might be able to bear it god already has a plan for your hardest time in future he had already provided for anything that could ever frustrate you and he has already made its end and that end is of the lord he says brethren let us consider the life and suffering of our brother job the endurance and patience of job and we have seen the end of the lord that that god is so pitiful and is of tender mercy he is not a god that intends for your destruction ah, there is going to be a way somewhere. 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 Whichever way. Whatever way. You will come out of it. You will come out of it. Now, you know more than David. Because you're established on a better covenant. With better promises. What David did not know, God has revealed it to you now to know. Are you going through your hard time? Rewind a bit. Just rewind a bit. Because I've seen, usually, God, when the Bible says he will not try you beyond that which you are able, I've also seen in this that he cannot create a harder time for you without a prayer victory. He cannot allow any hardness to come in your life when he has not created an atmosphere of a victory before to preserve a certain sword in the highest places. That's his provision in your test. If it is your first time, it's usually smoother. That is why with David, the stones were smooth. And there were five because the grace of God was working in his faith, but ignorance too, in certain aspects of life. He was a young boy who was trying to do life. The separation of revelation and wisdom. He had not matured. He had not matured. That is why later when David matures, when he has understood life, he says, why hast thou downcast, O my soul? Now he has matured. The message version says, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying in the blues? Fix my eyes on God. And he says, soon I'll be praising him again. He says, he puts a smile on my face. He's my God. He says, when my soul is in dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. From Jordan depths to Hammond Heights, including Mount Misa. All of those were places where David had the victory. Now he's mature to realize that when you go through the hardest challenges, look back. But then he had not known. At that point, David had not known. Now, God has allowed you to know what that sword represented. That you would not run farther than you should. 
If David knew what you know, he would not have run further than he should. Or if he had gone before Ashish, he would have gone another man, not as a madman. And because we don't know the ways of God, sometimes we start to look like mad when we fear and we're in trouble. Refuse to leave your character of faith when you're in trouble. Somebody shout hallelujah. For the weapons of our warfare, not cannot. But they are mighty in Christ for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, breaking everything that exalts itself above our knowledge of Christ and bringing all thoughts to the captivity. To captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Look back a bit and hold on to that in your hardest troubles. Even better, as you are the mature version of David, learn to rehearse it. Tell people, sometimes when I'm praying for the sick, those times you're praying for miracles and you feel inside there, you know, the kazon is not like sometimes it feels like. But we don't move by feeling. And sometimes I stretch my hand on a broken bone and I rewind myself to a crusade or a certain meeting where a similar bone healed. And I played in my mind. And after I finished playing it in my mind, I tell this person, walk. And then the person says, I don't feel any more pain. Hallelujah. That's the way of God. For we walk not by sight, but by faith. Raise your voice and thank God for tonight. Come on, rehearse. Take just a minute and rehearse. Take a minute and rehearse. Come on, speak to God. Come on, speak to God. You have done me well. You have done me well. You have done me well, Jesus. You have done me well. You have done me well. You have done me well. Jesus, help me quiet. You have done me well. Come on. Speak in other tongues. Come on, pray. Well, you have done me Jesus. Come on, tell him. You have done me well. You have done me well. Me well. Oh, Shelelebo, Uncose Bulunji, Uncose Bulunji, Uncose Bulunji, I want to decree upon your life that your light afflictions which are but for a moment they cannot be compared to the weight of glory that shall be revealed on your life Bible says, while you look not at the things which are seen, for the things which you see are temporal. Whatever the doctor could find in a microscope is temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And I decree and I declare that all things are for your sex. They work for your good that through the thanksgiving of many, this might redound to the glory of God for which cause you faint not. I decree and I declare that you shall not faint. 
you need to keep believing that things will work for you in fact the man of the word says i had fainted if i had not believed to see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living god has brought you through too much you have seen worse you've even seen victories in places when you were not a hundred percent with knowledge you have seen god's hand even in the places when you did not know how it worked i want you to hedge from there i want you to build your faith from there and believe god that you know better now than you knew last year and last week and that you are more than a conqueror by christ which strengthens you I decree upon your life that cancer will not kill you, HIV will not kill you, hypertension will not kill you, that STD will not kill you, poverty will not kill you, luck will not kill you, witchcraft will not kill you, in the mighty name of Jesus, diabetes will not kill you, in the name of Jesus, rheumatoid arthritis will not kill you, in the name of Jesus, you will not die in your movie, you are a victor in the name of Jesus Christ, you will not die single, you will not die rejected, your children will not fail to go to school, in the mighty name of Jesus, you will find love again, in the mighty name of Jesus, because God has plans for you, and your expected end is where he works from, build your expectation, and know that God is working, come on clap your hands to Jesus, like you know he has done it, no 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 clap, clap, clap like you know, clap come on clap like a victor you have your weapon now clap scream and shout and say father we thank you because victory is mine in jesus mighty name somebody shout hallelujah glory to god i'm waiting to hear your testimony in the high places <laughs> bring that sword woman of god because the bible says the sword is the word of god send your testimony testify on what god has done for you one day you'll need it one day you'll need your enemy's weapon if you've never given your life to christ i want to give you an opportunity to receive jesus as your personal lord and savior repeat these words after me say lord jesus i thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you were raised for my glory and born again the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero ministries international for more information contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com you can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.